You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That was a feral scream to catalog the fact and celebrate that this is the 200th episode of the X-Man podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you for checking out the show and, and thank you to especially those that have been listening from the beginning. I, I just looked it up. My first episode, so I got it right here, October 22nd, 2016. And now I'm recording this on May 10th, 2022. Wow. So that's five and a half years, 200 episodes. So I guess for, you know, most podcasts, that's not actually a ton of episodes for the amount of, of, of time. But, you know, I, I think the show started out, it was, it was fairly inconsistent in my release schedule. Then it gained some consistency during the pandemic and then <laughs> has kind of gone back to being inconsistent again which is for me is totally fine hopefully it doesn't bother you guys too much i know podcasts really all uh internet-based content does best when it's consistent but you know i've i've it's interesting how the show has kind of sat in my mind through through the years because it is work and it is, it is something that, you know, some days I go, hmm, if I wasn't doing this, I would, could be doing this or working on that. And, and that's, that balance goes back and forth, especially as music has become so much a bigger piece of my life. And when I started this show, I was doing a lot of different things and music was a part of that. And then all of a sudden it, it, kind of with bad wolves it, it took on an outsized space and it was like trying to figure out how to how to balance everything and but i always you know definitely through the pandemic i i had this kind of fearsome or, or fierce better, better way to put it uh attitude about people who started podcasts during the pandemic and how you know their problem is most of them ain't gonna last because they can't can't handle the <laughs> the consistency and the and the work that goes along with it. So definitely that was part of my uh, steely resolve. But thinking about you know doing the show for as long as I have, I'll, often I'm I guess I'm I'm tasked with the the question of what is the show supposed to be doing? What is it supposed to mean to me? Why am I doing it? Right. Um, 
And that's something that, that constantly evolves, you know? And I, I think I had, a, I had a period, well, not I think, I definitely had a period where I, it was kind of announced that I was ending the show. And this is like maybe two or three years ago. And that, that really kind of stemmed from a, a conversation I was having with, with Mike Mowry, where I wasn't really saying I was ending the show. I was, I was just making the statement that I didn't always want to do this format uh, because I think there's a certain amount of stories, I think, within this that I'm trying to tell. Uh, not my own story. I feel in many ways I've, I've, I've already told my story. That was really probably in the first 100 episodes of the show. And now it's about kind of, you know, ticking some boxes and, um, you know, I guess we call like, a, you know, as, as I call it, kind of the, the bucket list, have, having these conversations that are really valuable to me, which maybe is going to make me a bit more discerning in terms of uh, the guests I have on the show, which uh, maybe I'll become a bit more selective because I, I, I want it to be personal. Uh, but like anything, sometimes you, you start an endeavor completely uh, from a personal place and then it, it you know, kind of takes on a life of its own. And, you know, there's business components and kind of, you know, I'm with a podcast network and uh, publicists reach out to me and, and then you're kind of part of this like ecosystem. And I think the the main thing of that's important to me is kind of being part of the cultural conversation around this world of music that I'm, that I'm, you know, have such a good fortune to be a part of and kind of, I want to have a, uh, a hand in, in championing what, what we do, uh, and bring uh, positive energy to that and making it supportive and, you know, and, and bring everything together. I think that's one of the cool things about my show is the kind of stretching out as far as, uh, I'll bring in someone from the hardcore scene. I'll bring someone from, you know, an active rock band that's on the radio and kind of everything in between. Um, but the why to do is always something that's kind of poking me in the, in the brain and, and wanting to make sure that I'm always anything I do, um, including the show I'm, I'm just passionate about and I'm never phoning it in. I never want to do that. Um, so I just, uh, it's pretty amazing that I'm here. 200 episodes is a pretty amazing thing. And with that, to have a member of Metallica on the show for, to honor, uh, that benchmark is pretty amazing. And I'm, again, uh, I feel blessed to, to have had the opportunity to have these conversations with uh, some of the people that have inspired me uh, in in my life and really made this made my presence here possible and I'm absolutely just thankful to everyone who listens to the show and reaches out and writes me letters and says hello and just just everything it's it's almost uh, weird to to feel like you have some impact or that because I record this stuff just by myself. The idea that even people are listening sometimes is a little surreal. So yeah, we'll, we will see where, where things will go. I, I do think this format does have some type of finite thing. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop po- podcasting, but uh, 
maybe maybe looking to do some new things in the future. We will see. But it was really important making these benchmarks is uh oh, it's something I'm definitely proud of. So with all that being said, uh, we do have a show sponsor. We have two two show sponsors this week. Um, this is a band from South Florida. They're called Valion. I hope I'm pronouncing that or Valion. I'm pretty sure it's it's Valion. But this song is entitled "Falling Out." <laughs> So there you have it. That's Valion with their track Falling Out. And that's a brand new single that they just released. And from what I gather from checking out their Spotify is that they're kind of just doing the single thing. They've put out a few singles this year. They have a, 
a new video out. And yeah, they're from Southwest Florida, five piece band. And they've been together since 2019, played shows uh, with bands like Buck Cherry, Everclear, 10 years, Adelita's Way. And yeah, they have a sound that definitely I feel like would uh, would fit very well on any radio, rock radio station there. They, they seem to do that style very, very well. If you wanna check the band out, please go over to their website, valionfl.com. The way you spell the band name is V A L. L-I-O-N, and then it's FL.com for Florida, I presume. Go over there, check them out, tell them Doc Coyle said hello. And for our next sponsor, we're going to play a band. This band is actually from L.A., and uh, the, the the singer Patrick Stone is a, is a buddy of mine. I've been hanging out with him a lot lately. He's a really, really cool guy, but he has this band called Butterside, which is kind of kind of a funny kind of name, but actually, but it, but it sticks with you. But it's uh, with D's, two D's, Butterside, <laughs> uh, one word. And we're gonna play a new song from them called "Too Far." I 
So that was Too Far by Butterside. And yeah, I, I think we have a theme this week of a very uh, radio-friendly hard rock happening on the X-Man this week. But that was a really, really fun song. And yeah, the band has been around for a couple of years. They put a record out in 2021 called Spiritual Violence. And the song you just heard is off an EP that just came out entitled Never Worth It. And their plan, they've been in the studio with a great producer named Matt Good. And they plan on, or they've been releasing, excuse me, uh, a new single every six weeks or so since last September. And that will result in a 12 song LP coming out this fall. And yeah, the uh, some of the band members they share, I guess they're one of the guitar players, Logan is out with Diamante right now, uh, out with Shinedown and the other guitar player, Sam is out with Dorothy. Uh, so yeah, they've got some pro guys. I'm actually buddies with their bass player, um, Gabe. So yeah, they're like local LA badasses. And I think they're gonna be doing some cool things. And just so you know, the, the, the way you spell the uh, band name is B-U-D-D-E-R-S-I. I-D-E, all one word. And if you want to check out the band, go over to their website, butterside.com. It has all the stuff, all the links. You can check them out. Send a message, tell them Doc Coyle sent you. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, you know what to do. Shoot me an email at the Podcast at gmail.com or just get up in the DMs. Uh, we've been getting a lot of sponsors lately, but uh, we can probably fit you in. All right. With all the business out of the way, I have one of those guests that needs no introduction, really. It is Robert Trio from Meta the bass player from Metallica, my uh, bandmate from Mass Mental and the wedding band. And, you know, it's me and him have talked about doing this for a very long time. And you have to jump through some hoops to get someone from Metallica on your show, even if you're your friends and, and, and play together. And luckily, I was able to jump through those hoops and make this happen. Rob is is really, um, you know, someone in my life who has uh, been a mentor, been someone I, I look up to and just, uh, you know, I guess gratitude might be the theme of everything in this uh, this this intro piece. But I mean, it, it absolutely is, is that. It's just an absolute blessing to just see him work, see his work ethic. I'm sure some of these things I, I repeat in our conversation to together. Uh, but in many ways, he is the ultimate X-Man. When you look at his resume, where he started and where he's been and, and how he's he's worked his way up the ladder. And 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 yeah, and, and just the fact that he was able to kind of tell that story in the way only he could in on my show, I think is extremely fitting for the 200th episode. So I'm gonna stop running my mouth. I'm gonna get to Rob. It's the incredible, the legendary, the unbelievable, and, and one of the nicest guys you're ever gonna meet in the world, Mr. Robert Trujillo. So, you are, in my opinion, the ultimate X-Man. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and someone, as long as we've been uh, playing together, which is going on, wow, S since 2014, we've been jamming. Wow, that's great. It, yeah. it doesn't seem like that long, but it actually, it actually is. It, well, it, time flies when you're having fun, man. <laughs> that's all I got to say, you know. But, but, but no, when you actually look at your resume, it's in this genre, in this world, it's about as impressive as it gets. And this, this show mm -hmm. is all about kind of like 
navigating those those in-betweens, right? How do you yeah. get from point A to point B to where you at? Where I would, I don't know, point M. M. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you, yeah. you, you got way, way down the rabbit hole. But, uh, but yeah. first of all, I want to thank you for for doing this because yeah, man. I know we've, we've talked about it and uh, being in the situation you're in, it's, you know, we have to run through a lot of yeah. uh, hoops to, to make this happen. But uh, this yeah. is really exciting for me and it's going to be really exciting for the people listening to the show because you're probably the most requested person to be on the show. So cool. Well, yeah, man, it's good to be here. I know, uh, like you said, it's taken some time to put this together and, you know, navigating our tour schedules and then, um, COVID didn't help, of course. So, so yeah, it's great to be here. And I feel like this is one of my first interviews in the last, I, I did a, I did a few about a year ago, um, for uh, record store day, uh, related to something that I had released. But other than that, it's been pretty quiet. So th this is kicking off the new season for oh, the new year. There 20, you go. 2022 exclusive Doc coil, exclusive content over That's here. It. Um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about being kind of an LA guy and, and that, mm -hmm. that scene, what was going on kind of previous to you joining suicidal that puts you kind of in the position to kind of be that guy, especially since right. they were pretty much an established band before you joined. Well, uh, very long story short. Um, I had the privilege and honor of going to school with the guitarist for, uh, suicidal tendencies. One of many, um, in the history of suicidal down the chain, but probably, um, you know, the most famous of those guitar players, uh, is, his name is Rocky George and, uh, the Rocky, George. the Rocky George, who is exceptional. We were really good friends in junior high. Um, I think we even had science together and, uh, he just started playing guitar. He was um, really into like the Rolling Stones and, and sort of bands like that. And I was telling him about fusion because this would have been like late 70s, uh, around, you know, 79 or whatever. I was going, bro, you got to listen to John McLaughlin. You got to listen to Al DiMiola. <laughs> you know, you got to listen to Jeff Beck and all this. And he started to listen to these guitarists and then it, it just changed his world. And uh, and we sort of grew up always turning each other on to various um, artists, whether it was progressive musicians, uh, you know, bands like like uh, King Crimson or UK or um, uh, Yes, you know, all these groups. But at the same time, we were digging Slayer and Motorhead and Black Sabbath and. And then he was getting into a phase where he was into West Montgomery, like straight up hardcore jazz, uh, you know, Django Reinhardt. So it was always these crazy eclectic variety and styles that we were listening to from the time we were like 14, you know, 15, whatever. And um, he actually was the, the star of the school of Culver High School. That's where I we went to, sc to school was Culver High, and um, he joined Suicidal Tendencies almost immediately. I feel like it was 1983, maybe just after the first album, um, or, or not too too long after, because he didn't actually record Institutionalized, but he came in shortly after. Uh, and long story short, there was a certain point where they needed a bass player after they had um, recorded How Will I Laugh, 
Um, and then they had done a, an album called Feel Like Shit, uh, Deja Vu. <laughs> and that was an EP sort of thing. And uh, they needed a bass player. And I joined. At the time, I was in a funk band of my own called True Colors. And we were inspired by Level 42 and, um, you know, anything anything funky we were we were trying to to do that <laughs> yeah. well it's your style is, is so interesting especially with the with the wedding band because to some degree the wedding band i guess is a reflection of the amalgamation of all those influences right from yes the metal and rock yeah. to the funk yeah i mean how did you perceive of yourself at that time because i because in in, in some ways i think you were ahead of the curve of something that, that became almost like a bit of a trend of like funkier bass playing right. and type of stuff in in metal. I mean, was it known when you joined the band that you were going to be bringing those influences to suicidal? Well, suicidal, you know, at the time they they were really focused on. Um, I mean, kind of going more in a real heavy direction with the metal and the edge. Um, the first couple albums were sort of heading in that direction but they were really rooted in punk yeah and then all of a sudden started gravitating towards this heavy uh kind of more metallicized um recipe and one of the things i always liked about suicidal is they were um open to a lot of different things and uh and I always felt there was elements of, it, almost like there was an element of rap in there and in the way Mike was, uh, you know, bringing that sort of vibe to the first album, like the song like Institutionalized or I Saw Your Mommy. It's like poetry in that way, but the grooves are heavy and the riffs are there and they get into the speed stuff. Um, so they were already diverse, you know, multicultural, like the fans that followed, you know, I grew up in the same neighborhood as these guys and so, I was a skater and a surfer and they were all skaters and surfers and you know all the again multicultural because there was everybody that was in that mix you know we had asians we had um you know african-americans chicanos uh you know it was like <laughs> you know of course um you know the white boys were in there throwing down but everybody had the same edge and yeah. that was really cool i i enjoyed that part of it all uh from our neighborhood you know uh bringing all that that edgy uh kind of you know no bullshit uh you know uh ingredients to uh the world of creativity and that's what was happening with with that band so when i joined the band um, I remember, I think Mike Muir and some of those guys came to see me play at this place called Madame Wong's West, which was kind of like the Gazaris of the west side of L.A. and Santa Monica. And that was literally like a, a more of a funk new wave kind of a thing. Um, there wasn't much metal in there, maybe except with the exception of some guitar solos. And actually, they enjoyed it. You know what I mean? They, they thought it was it was cool. And, um, you know. Fortunately for me, when I joined the band, I didn't really have to audition against anybody, I think. I think they just kind of thought I'd join. But the funny thing, the funny story was I actually, I, I, I said no at first. And uh, I, Rocky called me and he's like, dude, like, um, we're getting ready to go out with Anthrax. We're going to Europe. It's a big tour, biggest tour we've ever been on. Anthrax is playing arenas. And uh, this is 89, yeah. you know what I mean? And uh, uh, 
state of euphoria you know and and, and he's like dude think about this you know and i'm like <laughs> and i'm like well in my i had a bass teacher at the time a guy called larry seymour who was playing with like barry manilow or some shit and he was he was bored and he goes man i'll take that gig and so i actually <laughs> called rocky and i said hey well larry you know my teacher he's he wants to take that gig so i got my own band we got label interest and all this stuff and 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 it you know it was pretty pretty bogus what what i actually had going on wasn't much i mean i i thought you always think you have the world and you find out that you don't really have the world and it's just like you know so and so's interested in signing us all that kind of crap so it took me about 20 minutes to call him back and go nah bro i'm in i'm in you know and 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 next thing you know i was heading to europe with them and uh we were uh opening for anthrax yeah so that's kind of the short version so rocky was really instrumental in bringing me to i guess you could say the professional world yeah of uh of being in a signed band and- well that's a common thing of like guys who are in one situation and they get that offer of something bigger and their hesitation is actually that happened to me with lamb of god when they asked me to fill and i was like oh let, let me check and then like t- same thing like an hour later i was like what am i fucking stupid yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you know it's because because that opportunity opens other doors like that's how i met you i know you know you were out there with them and i remember we just started talking and there was this connection and uh and then um you know obviously things progressed from there with um with mass mental which is also uh, another experimental kind of covers uh slash original project that plays maybe every 10 years <laughs> but anyway great musicians you know brooks wackerman armand sabaleko shout out to y'all shout out shout out stevie solids you know wit crane benji from Skindred. it's like uh, a it's like a collective it's a collective exactly it is a collective so anyway doc comes on board you know a couple things there and then and that just sort of stuck with me and when the wedding band uh needed an extra guitar player you know I thought about you, but um, yeah. I mean, again, I, I I always love music that's grooving, and it doesn't matter if it's you know punk or, or uh, you know or funk or jazz or whatever. I mean, I, I sometimes I find find it interesting listening to elevator music. I mean, literally, I'm like, man, this is cool. You know, there's something <laughs> in it that I like. I don't know, man. I just I don't I don't put rules or restrictions on myself when it comes to what music I like. So with Suicidal, you joined the band probably when things really started to take off in the band, the MTV presence yeah. and that that record um the first record you did with the band just yeah, had some of the we, biggest songs the band ever ever did. Yeah, that's when the doors started really opening. I mean, arguably the first album institutionalized till this day is yeah, it's a classic. The most classic, one of the most you know classic punk albums out there. But um, um, when I joined, yeah, they were just starting to break into some bigger uh, zones as far as like touring opportunities. Um, because a couple years later, we're now touring with Metallica. And yeah, we're now opening for you know Guns and Roses and football stadiums and. Uh, you know, um, just before that, we did a long tour with Queensryche, um, uh, and 
and silent lucid lucidity yeah it was yeah, blown up yeah yeah that was blowing up and we were a part of that though we probably didn't have a whole lot in common with uh that band and their music we um had a great tour with them and it worked um mike was kind of like always about challenges he was like hey man we don't have to play a certain this kind of music to just a certain type of audience let's go play with you know whoever let's go play with bon jovi you know he was not like you know he was into breaking the rules you know um which was pretty cool so um uh the first album that i did with actually the when i joined the band on uh the uh the um uh feel like shit deja vu record I didn't actually play on that. Uh, someone else played on that, and then I came on board. But a lot of people thought I was the bass player on that record, but I wasn't. Um, so I didn't. I wasn't a part of the writing situation it, 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 until, um, you know, like like songs like "You Can't Bring Me Down" yeah. or, uh, you know, it's it's like those were classic songs too. Um, and that's where I was able to bring in sort of my vibe and my style and what was going on for me at that time. And I think it um, changed the band. It, 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 it definitely gave it something and, uh, and it sort of sparked a new. Well think, uh, well, think about it. Like all the bass players after you kind of are a reflection of the standard you set, whether it's Thundercat, whether it's Ra, right. whether now Ty playing with the band. I feel right. like you kind of set like, Bringing, there's a certain bass playing style that's specific to the band. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, there is. Um, a lot of that stemmed from, some of that stemmed from the Infectious Grooves, which was the offshoot that Mike and I started working towards. So why why did Infectious Grooves start at all, so, considering how okay, busy okay, okay, Suicidal yeah. was? So that's a, good, that's a great question. Um, what ended up happening was I joined the band. I was already in my sort of, my, my, my funk band before I was in Suicidal Tendencies called True Colors, the drummer of Suicidal, uh, RJ Herrera, was drumming in that project too with me, uh, which was a local band. And um, I always envisioned doing something that really uh, combined the elements of Suicidal on the heavier side or Slayer. Um, but then also punk elements or ska elements, but then really in, in, intertwining it with where I was coming from the more of the groove and the funk realm, which was more rooted, I think, in sort of bands like like Parliament Funkadelic or like um, uh, James Brown, for instance. We would take James Brown ingredients and mix it into this to this, you know, recipe. And and at the time, yeah, you you had other bands like Mr. Bungle, and you had the Chili Peppers, and you had all these groups, but we were coming from a different place because we were we were um, those all those bands are great, and they're really you know obviously friends of mine and everything till this day. I mean, Primus was kicking ass back then, you know, um, and we all knew each other. You know what I mean? It was a great time in the '90s. Hey guys, Doc, just cutting in here real quick to show you one of our other show sponsors, Good Company with Scott Bowling, a great YouTube show. Check this out. 
Hey guys, my name's Scott Bowling. I have a YouTube show called Good Company with Bowling. What's up? This is Clint Lowry from Seven Dust. Hey, what's up? This is Sonny Mayo. Hey, Ricky Rackman. And you're watching Good Company with Scott Bowling. I've interviewed bands like Limp Bizkit, Fozzy, Seven Dust, Korn. I've had Chris Farley's brother, Tom Farley, on the show. My show is kind of like a modern day Wayne's World. Oh. If you love a good interview, a good rock interview, or just any kind of interview, please, if you get a chance, check out my show, Good Company with both. So there you have it. If you want to check out Scott's show, go over to scottgoodcompany.com or just go on YouTube and search Good Company with Scott Bowling. Remember, that's two T's. Now back to our conversation with Rob Trujillo. Yes. Well, it was, there was this thing called funk metal, whether yeah. it was Red Hot Chili Peppers, Extreme yeah. was doing kind of a, a funky thing. There was this, and it seemed like it only, it had this, even... Infectious Grooves was pretty big for a while, right? Yeah, I mean, well, we, a major label. We we were yeah, but we were kind of the ugly stepchild always, and that was a cool thing actually. I look back on it, and uh, we were, we had we we were blessed with Stephen Perkins on the first album, and uh, you know that that was crazy because he was in 1991. That dude was like one of the best drummers in the world. I mean, seriously, like all that you know, listen to ritual de lo habitual album and all the drumming he was like this tribal caveman and <laughs> and i really believe that on the song infectious grooves and punk it up that's some of his best drumming ever like in terms of just radical approach and groove and the combination of those elements so we were kind of this weird kind of uh i don't know we had a lot of different ingredients i mean ozzy sang on the first album on one of the songs therapy and that very was cool song. Very cool. I just song. watched the video yesterday, and that was a dream come true because you know I grew up playing in backyard parties, and I played Sabbath, and we played some of the Aussie solo stuff like I don't know and all that stuff. But Sabbath was like our main, uh, you know, kind of our main thing. So being able to have him on the record, we were also recording the uh, the, the infectious first infectious record which was the plague that makes your booty move. And then Ozzy was doing No More Tears at the same time in the same studio compound. So you can only imagine the craziness that was going on. That's when Ozzy was out of his mind and he would come into our studio and try and hide out with us. And, and he loved the music we were making. So he'd start dancing in front of the console and putting his hand up <laughs> and doing that head thing, you know? and. Because I love this, man. I love the bass, man. I really love the bass. <laughs> and then he'd be like, you got any beer? And we'd be like, no. I've told this story too. People probably heard it. Because you got, you, got you got any pills? No. <laughs> you got any Coke? No. And then he goes, man, you guys are fucking boring. Man. You know? It's like, but then his, his, his minder was always coming in our room. Like, where's Ozzy? He's not here. I, He's not in here. No. Okay. We're looking for Ozzy again. So every day they're looking for Ozzy. So he was, he was, um, you know, he was a handful back then. But, uh, there we go. And, and which was, you know, in its own weird way, it was, it was a special time uh, for me to be around that energy with him and all these amazing players and the spontaneity of some of the stuff that we wrote 
it's it, infectious screws very different than than metallica in that we built our songs around jams literal jams what you heard we go to mates rehearsal studios which you know very well mm -hmm. and uh a lot of us here in, in LA know Mates very well. Uh, it's a pretty historical place, but there's this one room and uh, it's like the room where Jane's Addiction wrote a lot of their stuff in the room where, you know, actually Suicidal, we wrote some great stuff in there. I'm sure a lot of bands, but, um, but we would go in there and we'd say, okay, four days. And we'd go in there for like four hours and we would work for four to five days and come out with our record literally like that and yeah you would prepare some things at home and then the next you would have your cassette recorder you would record the song i would record the song and then the next time we would play that song was in the studio when we were going to track it for real so that was it it was this one day you roll through jam magic happens and then all of a sudden the next time you're going to hear that song is when I press play in the recording studio, you know, and then all of a sudden the drummer, we had first album, like I said, was Steven, a guy called Scott Craig. And then Josh Freeze did one. Second album was Josh Freeze. Third album was Brooks Wackerman. You know, the years that I was there at least. No slouches. No slouches. <laughs> so for me, the, the key thing was to capture the magic of the drummer. That's what we wanted from the song. So when you listen to an infectious song, there's a lot of these key moments where the drums are uh, really making a statement, but that's how the music was built from the rhythm section. Now with Metallica, we can take more time. There's a, a lot of demo process, a lot of preparation, more orchestration, orchestration, a lot of cultivating, um, you know, building the composition, and that is awesome because that's the way it needs to happen. With something like like Man Unkind. Is, which starts with that bass line with the guitar melody. Does, is that something you brought to the table with, with that or someone like well, kind of... Or did you build? That was actually, that Man and Kind was something that, I mean, of course it's generated from jams. So that yeah. would have been generated from a jam moment. But then as you're generating uh, bits and pieces from jams, you know, you're cultivating the song with time, you know, and you're changing stuff and you're building it. So it's always going to be generated from a jam or somebody's riff. But what I'm saying is is the infectious model was literally like like someone has an idea or I'd bring in a, a rough draft of, of an arrangement. We're jamming it and dudes are playing chords on the spot. Everything's happening and we, we get it on a cassette and the next time that song is played, it's literally played to track and record. So the goal was always to have that real uh, um, spontaneous moment from the rhythm section, you know, where it's just like that dude may not play that the same way ever again in his life, you know, so you want that. So sometimes it was second take, third take, and then that was it. And then you go to the next song and then Mike would sing, you know, or whatever. So it's just a different formula. Um, and there's nothing wrong with any of these formulas, you know. Uh, obviously, with Metallica, there's just nothing but classics. I mean, it's like, you know, in, in infectious is infectious, you know what I mean? And I don't know how other bands do it. I know I've spent time with, with Les Claypool, and Primus is maybe sort of similar to infectious in that kind of do everything in-house, DIY videos, you know what I mean? Um, 
you know, he says there's a lot of mistakes in some of the drumming and stuff that, that might be there, but it's okay because that's the magic too. And that's how it was with us, with Infectious. It was like, um, again, do-it-yourself videos, Santa Monica Mountains, bring the masks, you know, film students, you know, pizza and beer, uh, you know, lugging all this gear up there. But then there were other times where you had a video people that were uh, through the label, you know, uh, brought to the table. So it's kind of everything. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, having gotten to play with you a lot through, mm -hmm. the, through the years, my perception of you knowing where you kind of seem to be the happiest and the most uh, having fun and comfortable yourself, it, would it be... Would this be an accurate statement to say you're like a funk bass player who masquerades as a metal player? Um, or is it all I, I, in there? I, it's all in there because, like I was saying earlier, I grew up, I was very fortunate to grow up with cousins and parents that were at an age where they were, you know, like my mom, she was 19 when, when she had me and my dad was 21. So I grew up with Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones, and I grew up with all that stuff. But then I also grew up with flamenco guitar because my dad used to play, and, and he'd have Sabicas records you know, in the house, but then he'd also have Beethoven. But then at the other end of that, my cousin, uh, Anna, she was a total you know, kind of R&B funk gal. She was all about James Brown, all about the Barquets, all about you know, Parliament Funkadelic, all about the Isley Brothers. Isley Brothers are an amazing band, you know. And then Jamie Hendrix is in there, too. But then all of a sudden, my other cousins listened to ZZ Top, and uh, and um, everybody was listening. Everybody's older brothers were listening to Black Sabbath. So I had all of this. I was like a sponge. I was just taking it all in. So I went to jazz school when I was 19, and I was studying jazz, but I ended up just jamming a lot and... Uh, and not really embracing the uh, the uh, theory as much. Now I, I'm like, I should have, you know, but, you know, I'm doing a lot of things now that I, I sort of discovered as a musician, like piano and all this stuff that really helped me with composition these days. Um, so I tried to be more of a multi-instrumentalist. But my whole thing with, with bass is I know so many different types of players, and a lot of that happened when I did the Jocko film. I met my heroes. I mean, I met, you know, like all these cats. I don't want to go down the list, but I met these guys that were my heroes. And then I met all these other younger players that are badasses. But then also, you know, uh, Geezer Butler, you know, I've known him for a while. And so knowing all these people, it's it's weird for me because I'm, I'm older now, and I... I see everybody on an equal plane, you know what I mean? I, I respect, you know, all these players in different ways, and they're all different. Like, I don't look at somebody and I don't go, you know, like, Thundercat's better than Geezer, and, and Geezer's better than uh, Lemmy, and, and, you know, I'm just like, I'm just like, everybody is, is, is a badass, you know what I mean? And Flea is my hero for so many reasons. And some of that is even beyond his playing. Just the guy's a, a, the most angelic human being on the fucking planet. I'm not kidding. <laughs> this guy is, he's like a superhero, you know? He's so, he's such a good person. And 
and so I value everybody on their um, on who they are as individuals, as people, and what they bring to the table creatively. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know. Again, going back to Armand Savaleko is probably. I mean, <laughs> this dude is insane, genius musician. Like, I'm not just talking about bass, but I'm talking about as a writer. And it just, you know, he's just people fear this guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I, I remember there was this jam with like ten bass players that Stanley Clark had at MI, and you had all uh, like all these badass sort of jazz fusion players and flea was in there and flea had to play after armand soloed you know it was like they all do a solo and flea was like oh man why do i have to play after this dude you know and it's like unless is is also tight with armand so here's this guy he's flying below the radar and he's scary scary good you know on all fronts you know whether it's heavy you know heavy metal sabbath type of grooves or like funk and he's bringing in the african ingredients so i'm just saying that there are badasses that aren't sort of household names and that's what i love about my life is because i know the guys that are over here and over there and extra successful and not so successful and this and that and more um successful in a, in a passion driven spiritual way on their instrument you know all over the world and um and these people in my in my world are part of my overall collective. And and I gotta say this, my dream was always to have my favorite musicians around me, a phone call away, or like, hey, you wanna jam, you wanna do, you know, whatever, and just to to make it happen. And it doesn't matter what band you play in, you know what I mean? It just matters that you you can throw down and play your instrument, you know, and 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 I can get something out of that, you know? It's like it's it's like my Rolodex. If I had a Rolodex and I could have a little statement regarding each player, you know, it would be there. This dude is great for this and great for that and great for this and great for that. This guy's good, you know? That was always my dream and my goal, and I'm living that dream now. And to play in Metallica, of course, you know, which is just, you know, an honor and a blessing. Um, you By the way, it's ro rolling up on 20 years. Is it, it is. It is. You're is it, right. Was it 2002 or 2003? 2003, okay. but it is. In February, it will be. And it's it's gone by quick. And um, one thing I got to say about, you know, uh, to, to, the, to the younger musicians that are coming up, when you're in a band, it's about the relationship. It's, yeah. And you know this. Personality, creative people can be very complicated as people in, in life, as individuals. They're... Uh, so it's one thing to be able to play, you know. I mean, you, you got to be able to play. Number one, you got to play song, whatever situation that you're gets you through the door. Hired for that gets you through the door. But then you've got to you've got to be able to be a solid individual with these guys that are going to become your new family. And a lot of times, you'll have sort of a role in that band that you may not have in other situations. Yeah. And that is imperative that you sustain your responsibility not just as a player which goes without saying but as an as a friend as a support you know our any band i've ever been in whether it was with ozzy jerry cantrell i mean these i've had everybody at their kind of you know no disrespect but at their worst in their in their in their lives at a certain you mean point. with like drugs oh and yeah partying oh and... shit oh man i mean and at that time it's like okay how do I make this work? 
You know, how do, how do I prevent the volcano from erupting? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Do you think that's the secret to you kind of having this ascension from one gig to the next gig is that you know because i've seen you in a room right where maybe we're jamming and you know with with the wedding band we might have 12 people in a room or right. you know and you're it seems like a you're always positive you're always like keep it fun keep it positive keep it up but also just like some it's sometimes just about kind of manicuring the energy in the room you yes. know, and, and making sure I, like things are. You're right. It's called reading the room. You got to read the room with with uh, creative people because you never know who, who what you never know what's going on in their lives or, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, what they're dealing with or, or what's happening there. So you always want to make sure as much as possible that people are comfortable and everybody's cool. Um I'm checking people out. Some of the, I won't mention names, but some of the individuals I work with, you know, I could just tell from their face if it's not right or something's wrong. And, and you know, it, it, and then I immediately, you know, start thinking about how do I make this right? You know what I mean? Uh, sometimes people don't get along, you know? I mean, there's one of the things I learned from when I was involved in producing the Jocko film was people don't get along you know it's just like they don't want to see each other i get it you get it <laughs> and i and, and i have to make sure that i'm switzerland and that has nothing to do with playing music. well you're no you but you're i think you're, you're more than switzerland because you're not just neutral i think you actually go out of your way to make sure people are okay like yeah. i think you actually take care of individuals yeah yeah i, I that's important to me and, and you know what i think Everyone out there can relate to this. It is a part of how you grew up. It is a part of your family. Mm. You're, you're, you know, whether it's your brothers or your sisters or your cousins or your dad or your mom or whatever is going on with these tr these people in, in your tribe growing up. You know, sometimes it requires patience and it, delicate, Absolutely. you know, handling people with kid gloves. This 
happens in in our everyday existence, whether it's at the job place or whatever. Parent parenting. Parenting and it's parenting exactly. So I'm always learning from other people, and I'm and I'm learning from my parents and um, you know in my family members and other people's family members and everything. And then you take all that with you. And you apply it to your bands, you know what I mean? Really, it's like I try to stress that to Ty, you know, my son, because, you know, he's in a couple of bands and he's having the time of his life. And I said, well, just remember when you go on the road, you want to be balanced and you want to balance the people that are around you. And uh, you want to be responsible and take care of your end of the deal. You know, like, for instance, lobby calls. When he was out with Corn, when he was twelve, I was his basically his tour manager. His his I guess you could say is yeah personal tour manager really. So I made sure he was up for his lobby calls and stuff. And I said you don't want to be because he didn't like to get up early. Of course nobody does. But I said you don't want to be the guy that's showing up late to the holding, lobby holding everybody up. Yeah. And I told him a story about me when I was that guy who was holding everybody up. And it was actually Rocky who had to pull me the back of the bus when I first joined suicidal and he's like dude you're showing up 20 minutes late to lobby calls everyone's waiting for you we got to get to the next city and I said man I'm sorry there was clarity there I didn't go oh screw you man I'm you know do what I want no I realized you can't be that guy it's not about you it's about the team did you ever have because the, the the thing that strikes me about you from the second we met um and just through all of, all of our interactions is Despite being in the biggest metal band in the world, there's no, there's none of that rock star ego energy at all. Like you have the exact opposite. Like I'll see you, you'll load your own gear and you'll you'll set things up. There's nothing, there's nothing that you seem above uh, because you're just so kind of connected to like this ground level. Like right now we're in some right. very like just normal <laughs> rehearsal studio. It's nothing crazy. Was there a period where you were? rock star guy did you have that 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 phase well that would have been for a second the phase in in suicidal where i was showing up late and i was hanging out with the ladies a little too long and whatever was going on back then and that's you know in it's it's crazy when when you know your best friend when your best friends and the guy who brought you in the band has to take you aside and and have a talking with you which probably came from mike muir you yeah. know what i mean was like hey yeah. dude you got to talk to this but dude. They, they ran a pretty professional ship yeah 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 so any situation like don't get caught up people uh, that are coming up doing bands never get caught up in the idea that you're in your band and you're safe and nothing can touch you anybody and, can be replaced yeah anybody can be replaced <laughs> and um and uh, you want to always try to be as respectful as possible. Sure. Because you're going to have your ups and downs and you're going to bump heads. That's a given. But it doesn't mean you quit or you, you hate the person or whatever. It's like, you know, I've always been in situations uh, in my groups where there were those moments where things get heated and you're bumping heads. Happens in Metallica, you know. I mean, there's been a couple of times, even with James. James is a little... little um, uh, maybe something's bothering him. I remember one time, a couple of years, few years ago, about three years ago, in Italy, poor guy had like, be he got stung by a bee in his face. I think Jesus. it was. Is he allergic? I, I don't think he's allergic, but he was just. It's just 
you know, and then it, it was po- there was poison oak going on, and you know, so you know your your face is hurting, your body's itching, you're out there on the road, it's raining, we're we're in Italy or something, and and one of the songs, uh, um, one of the really like memory remains or something. I had a lot in my head. We're do- Kirk and I are doing these duets. I'm singing in other languages, and I'm just like, Lars through like, do a bass solo kind of a day before, and I'm just like, ah. <laughs> so I'm tense, and, and I'm playing. We're playing. He's tense, too, but we're tense about different things, and we're going on stage very soon. Things are running late, and we're playing Memory Remains, and I'm just kind of, you know, jamming through it, but I'm not really jamming through it with, like, like, full intensity i'm just kind of like ghosting it a little bit he's like well you know the song and i'm like and this is a song we played thousands of times and i was like (laughs) insulted because it's like this is the easiest song one of the easiest songs we play and you're asking me if i know the song so i'm just kind of like yeah yeah i know the fucking you know i i yeah i blew a fuse for a second and then i felt horrible and then he felt horrible and there was this kind of like and then we realized i think that you know, I'm tripping on the load that I have on my shoulders over here. He's tripping on this and this and, you know, probably, I mean, I get it, man. I've had poison oak. I've had the bee stings on, you know, it before and it ain't fun. And you're out there and you're trying to be the best you can. And it's just like, so, you know, rather than like throwing your instruments down and, 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 you know, coming to blows or anything like that, you know, you 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 work it out you you know you you kind of calm yourself and you realize what's going on and then you so even in our situation you know things like that can happen and it's just the nature of the beast you know and um we're all individuals and we all have our moments uh so i always stress that more more now than ever because you know even whether it was with ozzy and zach wild or jerry Contrell or um you know it's suicidal the same you know same thing i mean there was rocky and i almost got into a fist fight on stage when we were open for metallica metallica's playing and he's i was feeling sick and he was kind of drunk and messing with me and then i pushed him back and he pushed me and pushed him and it escalated and i tackled him <laughs> about two feet from hetfield's guitars you know what i mean and it's like wait a minute dude we can't do this you know of course, the Metallica crew thought it was funny, <laughs> but <laughs> Zach Harmon, who is my tech now, was like, "That was that was pretty cool, man." He's <laughs> like, "That shit was funny." Anyway, so uh, yeah, so anyway, just uh, words to the wise: always maintain your composure. You're in a band, that's cool, but it's about the relationship and um, being the best you can be, the best human you can be, the best brother, the best comrade, and and that's you know very important to to everything here you know so it's i think it's actually kind of this very peculiar thing that Mm -hmm. your journey is especially the the metallica chapter is captured in in the film some kind of monster so it's is that kind of a is that a strange thing that you know your audition process you joining the band that 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 famous scene where they're like hey we're gonna here's this like is that do you, do you like having that as like an artifact, or is it almost weird having people have that kind of intimate view into this right. big big part of your life? 
So I've only really seen the film a couple times, and I know I'm due to watch it now. Uh, it's still great. I so love many it. years later, because it is a very, very special movie. And um, I remember that day when I when I played and I actually auditioned. Funny story. You're the was, only guy that didn't seem nervous. Well, it, well, that's because I was I was drunk. Anyway, <laughs> there was a two day audition, and after the first day, the first day was kind of fly on the wall. Second day. Uh, no, the the, the 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 late in the evening it was about eleven. Lars and I were leaving the parking lot at the studio, and uh, he says, "Hey, man, why don't why don't we go get a drink?" You know, and I said, "Okay," you know, and uh, my drinking chops were up around that time anyway. So we we went to a couple bars, and then we ended up going to his house. And I I don't know, I must have drank a bottle of Crown Royal and and who knows what and he's playing me like songs from saint anger and we're rocking out and i couldn't drive i mean he's like you 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 need to stay in the guest room because you know we you know can't have you driving at five in the morning he's up at nine he's already on the treadmill sweating that shit out i'm i've got this hangover from hell and i'm just like where am i you know what i mean i'm at <laughs> lars's house somewhere up in san francisco you know it, it, I, it was just, it was surreal. So then he's like, come on, let's go. Got to go to HQ. And we're driving and I'm following him and my head's pounding. And and he's like a different dude. He's already like, he's in work mode, man, business. And I'm still like, I the tiger. damn, I thought we were best friends. Oh, wait, wait, what's going on? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know. So anyway, I always say, I feel like that was him testing me. That was him seeing under the under the not the best circumstances yeah how you will react exactly i'm gonna test this dude out we're gonna see how he handles this because he's gonna play today and and you know i, I remember uh i played battery i played uh you know sad but true which was actually thrown at me at the last minute there was a handful of songs battery was kind of one that i was proud of because i I had uh, played that with Lombardo, mm. you know, at some point, I don't remember when, but it, it was kind of nice that it was a more challenging song. But my head was pounding and we're sitting at this table and uh, having this kind of meeting, I guess, uh, like pre, pre-studio pre uh, recording meeting. I'm not, of course, I'm not involved in recording at this time, but um, I'm there and I'm just going, man, my head's pounding. I don't know if I can do this. Maybe I should tell the guys I don't feel good. You know, basically, I'd be aborting the mission. Yeah. And no, 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 I can't do that. So I'm going to the bathroom, putting water on my face. And then I, I came up with the idea, well, I'm going to go get my gear together because I didn't have, I had to choose my gear so I could get away from this intense surrounding and me smelling like booze with red eyes and whatnot. So when I played those songs in the film, I'm actually still kind of hammered. And um, maybe that helped me with my nervousness to where I was just too, too, I was in such a weird place that I just couldn't care about how I was at that moment. And I, I knew I was going to play, I guess, decent at least. I don't know. But I wasn't, I wasn't nervous. I was more concerned about my health and the state of mind I was in at that time. So anyway, what you see on that film is me, is, is Trujillo hungover after a night with Lars that was probably, uh, how do you say, uh, when, it, when something is pre, uh, 
like destiny yeah it was something that he probably planned uh, that he's a viking remember that so be careful you don't <laughs> yes. want to party with that guy because he will yes the, you, the viking blood it's, the it's viking not, blood. It's, it's like uh, yeah. an advantage oh yeah well no but i mean it's funny watching that um in hindsight and i know there's a lot more people audition who aren't in the film mm -hmm. um but it's very difficult for me to imagine someone else getting getting well, that gig um you got something? No, I was going to just say that I, I want this is important. When I came up, I, I I was already working with Ozzy and I was like, I'm going to go up there and have fun. And that was it. I don't you didn't put pressure I, on yourself. No, I didn't expect to get the gig. Gotcha. I just expect I just it was the goal was to go up there and, and jam with them and have fun and then come home and go back and play with Ozzy, you yeah. know. So I, I wasn't expecting to get the. You gig. already had your dream gig. Yeah, I was already. I was. I, well, I was working. Ozzy was my hero. I gotta say, I've, I've the luckiest dude ever because I've got to create, write, record, perform with Ozzy, create, write, perform, record with Mike Muir from Suicidal Tendencies, record and perform with Cantrell, who's another hero of mine. It, one of the best composers on the planet and then um and then of course you know same with metallica so i just feel blessed and um but at the same time it's hard work you know what i mean yeah. it isn't you don't get handed this stuff you know you got to be able to play and then you've got to go going back to you know being somebody that's going to help the family the, you know the the team you got to be that guy in, in any band so um, those are imp important things to understand. So once you do get the gig, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there's all this positive emotion and elation and kind of like, oh my God, this is crazy. But at some point, it does uh, a sense of the actual pressure of the bigness of it all hit you and all of a sudden it gets a little like well, serious and a little like, oh my God, like this, well, this is real? Yeah, um, Metallica, especially back then, was working harder than anybody, meaning the business load. Like, I can't, I couldn't even imagine what was happening because it was all happening so quick. It's like... You got thrown within into a couple, fire. Yeah, within a few days, I was playing, you know, uh, an arsenal of back catalog with these guys at the, at the Fillmore in San Francisco um, as a celebration. Some of those songs, I had cheat sheets on stage because I did, I'd asked... Lars, James, and Kirk, what are this? What set lists should I be learning? You know, I'm going, I'm trying to investigate. And they're like, all of the songs. No, they're like, <laughs> learn, I don't know, just learn this and this and this. And then another guy would say, learn, it's, it, was, it was different. Yeah. Like, none of these guys were necessarily agreeing with it everything. It wasn't locked in. It wasn't locked in. And I was confused because I didn't know where to what to learn. And then all of a sudden, we're playing at the Fillmore, and he's throwing Phantom Lord at me like earlier in the afternoon and i'm like holy shit i didn't learn that one so i'm like got my cheat sheets out and so the whole first year for me was just like a wild ride because you gotta also understand this is really important i had to learn the saint anger album in its entirety and the saint anger well, album you did that that the the video the, the video, video that was on the special right. edition and that was the first time we played those songs in their entirety 
So you're capturing that moment there, uh, um, on, on which I think TV. sounds better than the actual album that 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 live recording. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I mean now when we play those songs, we actually play them better than 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 that time because we're more cohesive as a band. Dude, the track at the show I went to what was it? Uh, is it Dirty we, Window? Yeah, Dirty Window. That, yeah. That, Dude, people were moshing. That, that, yeah, that, it was it was great. A song set it off. Yeah, exactly. There's a great example of what I'm talking about. So, but at that time, you know, we had never played those songs. They had never played those songs. So I'm learning. I don't know how many songs that was. A twelve songs or something. And then I'm learning the back catalog too. So it's all happening at the same time. So when you see that that moment in the movie where the camera crew comes in my room. And I'm working on the songs. I started jumping on the bed. I was pissed that they were coming in my room. And I just felt pressured. I didn't want cameras. So I was like, ah, oh, and I started jumping and everything. And they made it look like I was happy and elated. I was like, no, get out of my room. <laughs> and I blew a fuse. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, Movie magic. It, it's a lot, a lot of uh, workload. Um, and then at a certain point, probably two years in, I uh, had a bit of a break and I said, okay, I am going to learn some of the craziest songs these guys have done that they don't even play. So I started learning uh, Freight Ends of Sanity, for instance. And, um, and, I, and, and even though we weren't playing that song and we probably weren't going to play that song for a very long time, I was like, I'm learning it because I don't want to get caught like I had gotten, you know, I don't want to get a situation where I, I have to use cheat sheets and I'm like caught off guard, so to speak. So I started learning Orion and I started learning, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Call of Cthulhu, some of these songs, just even though we weren't playing them yet. But those eventually got in the set, especially they, like they, the they, S&M yeah. stuff. And yeah, they got into the set. It, but that's that's the interesting thing is I my instincts told me that they're going to surprise me. And they're not going to care if I'm not. Yeah, they're 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 going to expect me to play those songs, and I didn't want to be in that situation. So I said, I'm going to one up these dudes, and I I can't be five steps behind or ten steps behind anymore. I got to be five steps ahead or ten steps ahead, and that's you know um, what ended up happening at least for me in terms of pre-planning. I, I really try to you know always think ahead. If I can, you know, with uh, especially with Metallica, because you never know what they're going to throw at you, you know, and, and I'm always learning. I mean, I'm still I'm still trying to grow. And, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, I, when I joined the band, I didn't never sang a note, never had to. And all of a sudden I had to start singing. And I so I had, you know, had to I've had to grow and um, and challenge myself in different ways. And I think that's a good thing when you're a musician, you know. What keeps you and I and I guess this I guess uh, extends to to Kirk as well with with the wedding band because Metallica does work so hard and you know when you guys are just every time I you know I'll hit you up they're like oh I'm in SF we're we're writing I'm doing this we're flying to South America whatever there's always something going on um, and then in your spare time you'll do things like the the wedding band mm -hmm. or Mass Mental or mm -hmm. you'll do the Jocko documentary yeah, right. what's the motivator to want to always kind of keep that plate full with other things. Right. Is it just passion? Are you a workaholic or do you just, you or do you need that release from Metallica to kind of do something that's a little less well, pressurized? Before I joined Metallica, I was already doing these crazy things. And um, 
you know, I was directing the Infectious Groove videos at, at one point, and that was really fun. So I love filmmaking. And then when I worked on Jocko, um, the director, uh, Paul Marchand and myself, Paul's a great writer. He's an incredible editor, but he's a, also a great writer. Like he co-wrote Good Hair with Chris Rock and everything. Great film. Great film. Don't make any G.I. Jane jokes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, basically, um, I love writing, you know, and I'm getting more in touch with that now. And so there's all this other stuff going on in my brain, like at three, four in the morning, I'm like thinking of like storylines and, and, and different things that have nothing to do with Metallica, you know, it might have to do with something else over here or another project or so creatively, I'm just always kind of buzzing, you know, and does the wife ever go, Hey, do less. Oh no. She, she, <laughs> she's crazy like me too. Cause yeah. Chloe is doing art. She's doing, so she's a singer, right? She sings, she's doing her music. She's got her visual, um, content, you know, with her own videos, <clears throat> half the stuff I can't even, keep up with so i become inspired by her because of her energy and then ty he's got a band called feed the beast he's got auto he's do touring with suicidal tendencies stuff so in his room you're always hearing music and then you're hearing trap beats and you know hip-hop grooves and trip-hop and then my daughter plays drums and she's doing art so in our household it's just always pulsating with creativity so i just look at it as a normal thing like yeah. i i i I, I don't know anything different, you know? It's like, it's kind of crazy. It's just the way I am. Sometimes I think to myself, man, maybe I need to just kind of chill out and open up like a Mexican restaurant or something <laughs> and forget about all this. Well, you do, but, well, I mean, I don't know if this is for public consumption, but, you know, you'll tell me that, you know, you have like a breathing routine and you do kind right. of like cold showers and yeah. you have, you know, you work out, you do all these things to keep, your energy and kind of focus right. at a at, at a level. So I'm sure that's part of what what is it gives you the ability to do all this stuff. Right. So a couple of years ago, uh, James Hetfield asked me if I knew about the Wim Hof breathing techniques. I'm like, I've heard about it. And oh, you should check it out. And I'm like, okay. And then I was kind of phoning it in, like, oh yeah, I got the book because Chloe gave me the book a few years back. And I'm like, I didn't read it or anything. I just have the book and I'm going to read it. And he's like, no, dude, you need to get the app. And you need to try this because I think you're going to dig it. So I started doing it. And then all of a sudden we're challenging, not challenging each other, but we're checking in with each other. He's like, I just did four minutes. And I'm like. And now is it, that, is it related to meditation it, as well? It, 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 it sends you there. It sends you into a meditative state. But it just opens up your system, your mm. whole you know, your body becomes open and free with these breathing routines. And, and if you're athletic and you're surfing or you're whatever you're doing, you know, any sort of form of cardio, it really helps open up that uh, that terrain in, in your system. And then the cold showers just is a shock to your system. So I, I only take warm showers at night. Every morning for the last two years, it's been cold showers. So... Um, I just feel reinvigorated and um, and now I'm interested in learning more about things like that. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know, In the now at 57, I'm like, man, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to compose more. Um, you know, it, it just feels like it's harder with age to do things. It's harder to sure. work out. It's harder to be creative. It, it just is. It, 
for most of us. But actually, you're more seasoned and you're better. I feel that we're all better in some ways than we were. If we can just harness that and dig deep and roll up our sleeves and um, and still be able to create. And, and it's hard to do, man, because, you know, the body doesn't want to go there. You know, the body's like, I'll give I'll go there for you, but you're going to have to work extra hard for me to go there. You know what I mean? And it's like and that's uh, what I'm feeling now. I'm just feeling like, um, you know, with the transitions with age, if you if you apply your positive energy and your focus on the right transitions and your nutrition, whatever it is, you can make you can make that you can turn that corner and and be super productive and still rock out and still kick ass and and everything so you know the days of like drinking bottles of crown royal and not sleeping and you know and all that kind of stuff those are gone for me now i i I enjoyed them i had a great time but it's like now i kind of have to move in this other direction from all that so you know, you're you're at an age right now where you know you're. you're I'm still drinking the bottles. He's crown. still drinking the bottles of crown. And when I, I don't know if I can much longer. Though. And, and when I was Doc's age, I was doing the same thing, and I was loving it. You know what I mean? Maybe not crown. Maybe maybe more. Um, I actually did buy a bottle of crown a couple days ago, but I haven't drank it any and, of it. And you know, what turned me on to crown. Was Dime Zach, bag? Zach Zach Wild, but Dimebag turned us all on to crown. Yeah, because before that, for me, it was Jack Daniels. And, um, no, Crown is like better Jack Daniels. It's, it's the same it's, idea. Exactly. It's same idea, but it's better. At yeah. least it's better because of the purple yeah. velvet bag. Oh, you got to have the bag. That's where you hide but, your weed, right? But that, that was our thing, man. <laughs> we would, on the Ozfests, you know, when, when Pantera was on, you'd take sh- shots of, you know, of, of Crown, of whiskey, you know, whatever. I mean, then there was this whole, like, kind of Jägermeister phase, and that stuff's deadly. In fact, uh, in Madrid, in 93, um, there was this big party in Madrid uh, for the Metallica tour, and the Black Album, and, and I was out there with ST, and um, I drank, uh, yeah, come on in. No, come on. Good. And I drank, I drank a whole bottle of, of, of Jaeger with Lars and James, but the thing that's crazy is I don't think they had much of it. I think I drank all of it, so there was kind of like, I always say it, if there was ever a hazing period, that that was the hazing period when they had me drink that bottle. And uh, I had a flight at like seven in the morning. And I just remember uh, when you drink Jägermeister from Europe and Germany, it's different than the Jägermeister in the States. It's better. It's better. But it's almost like a liquid acid kind of a, like you're, you're, you're kind of flying in a different way rather than being drunk and ah, rah, rah, you're, you're like kind of, in this other headspace, it's hard to explain. But anyway, I, I I was on a flight at seven in the morning in that headspace, and I'm sure I was very entertaining on the plane. But uh, um, you know that that sort of stuff a legend because those dudes they did that to me, and I remember <laughs> talking about it a couple of years ago um, with uh, with Billy from the Cult the guitar, you know Duffy, and he was saying, dude, that you 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 drank most like eighty percent of that bottle. Those guys had like a little bit. You'd like drink most of it. They tricked you, man. They, they did tri- it again. They Those did guys it again. tricked me, man. They did it again, just like the audition. Well, listen, yeah. Rob. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you so much for for doing this. Just like Ozzy was your hero, and you got to play with him. You're my hero, and you're someone that I uh, 
you know, I kind of try to absorb your habits and your mindset and everything because, you know, I've been fortunate to kind of be in situations and move up and get in different bands and different situations. So it's something that I always try and follow. And this show is kind of a resource for people like us to try and, you know, uh, maintain these good habits and just, yeah. uh, you know, just keep yeah. it going. But thank you so much, man. It means well, the world to me, man. Well, thanks for having me, man. You know, we, we, you know, there's a lot in the tank, so we'll, we'll do this again. Awesome. All right. Cool, thanks, man. brother. Thanks. All right.
So you just heard Man Unkind from Metallica's latest album, Hardwired to Self-Destruct. I think it's on the, the second disc. Sometimes I forget that it's actually a, a double disc album or triple disc, actually, if you, you think about the third disc. <laughs> anyway, uh, I fell in love with that song when I saw the video because Metallica did that thing where they did a video for every song and they used the footage from Lords of Chaos and the actors playing Mayhem and it's a just awesomely shot and, and badass. And sometimes a great video makes you fall in love with a song. And I, I fell in love with that song. I think it's going to go down as one of my, my deep Kate deep cut favorites from Metallica. And well, I hope you enjoyed the song. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Robert. You know what? I'm going to presume you did because I went back, you know, listening back to it. I think it's one of, one of the, one of my favorite, if not my favorite conversations I've, I've had because Robert really, uh, you know, he, he shows the way, you know, to, to people like myself and, and, and people listening in, in a way that, that he doesn't have to, you know, and, uh, and I, and I really got a lot out of listening back to the conversation. So all the gratitude in the world, uh, to Robert and Metallica camp for doing this, doing the show and, you know, just, uh, bring me along for this, this little ride. And, uh, it's quite surreal. To, to quite a, a surreal life, not to quote one of the lesser respected reality shows of our time, but uh, but yeah, it was it was really cool listening back to that and kind of uh, reflect on it. And it's it's a different experience when you're in the middle of a conversation and then you kind of get to enjoy it as a as a listener. And I really got to kind of hone in on you know, all those stories. And I'll tell you, Rob, man, this dude. He, he's got a million more stories too. the, the, the coolness with that, it, it never really ends. And so I'm glad I could bring the X-Men listeners, uh, a little bit in, in, into my world and kind of get to, to be a part of some of the things I get to be a part of. And that's really the beauty of this, this platform and this medium and the intimacy that is podcasting. And, you know, I alluded to maybe altering or doing some different things down the road, but I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. And there's still a lot of work to be done uh, under the X-Man flag. So I'm going to do that. 200 episodes. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to even, even, even think about that, but I feel like I've made an impact and I feel like I made a connection and I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad to do my best to contribute to this this uh this world we're in and uh and just share what it's all about all right i'm i recorded the earlier bit way earlier now it's very late at night <laughs> quite a journey quite a journey getting this episode out but uh you know it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun and i think we've run out of steam here so i love you guys thanks for sticking with me keep rocking and rolling and Mamba's out.
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.